Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. You may be wondering, who is this strange man in the pulpit today? Father Ian McCarthy, I'm a Navy chaplain. I serve at Naval Air Station Jacksonville. And I've known uh, Father Joe and Father Trent for many years. Actually, Father Trent was in my wedding uh, about eight years ago, and they've been dear friends. And it's a pleasure to get to be here with you and to serve this morning. I actually got to serve here the summer of, I think it was the summer of 2000. I was here serving as a youth intern with Susan Clater, who was the youth pastor at that time. Um, when Kirkland Daniel was having his farewell uh, celebration, he was mentioning a, a mission trip that we went on that summer, and it really was remarkable how God moved with, with our team and our group of, of, of our team, really. Uh, I had brought a group from Gainesville up. There's a group from St. Mark's in Ortega, and we had an incredible time serving in the Appalachian, Appalachian Mountains. Well, this morning, we were looking at John chapter 20. Uh, the appearance of Jesus after the resurrection to his disciples, and then again eight days later to Thomas, as well as the disciples. This gospel passage comes up every year after Easter, every year. So it's sort of a a preacher's delight, but also dilemma, because what do you say year to year about the same passage, right? Uh, But yet it's a time to really dive into what it means to doubt, what it means to not fully believe, but then believe. So let's go, go with me, if you will, back to that upper room, back to that room where the disciples were gathered together. And what, is it, what does it tell us in the gospel passage that the disciples were doing? Well, the doors were locked, right? And why were they locked? For fear of the Jews. Yes, they were afraid. Their rabbi... Their leader had just been crucified, not only by the Jewish people, but by the Roman authorities who were in civil power at that time. What was the logical next step? Well, whoever was to follow in his footsteps might also be at risk of being crucified. So it makes sense that these disciples were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that they might be found out or hunted down and persecuted. And rightly so. We know that Almost all of the disciples, the apostles of Christ, died for their faith. Almost all of them were martyred, with the exception of John. So there they were, gathered together, afraid. At least one of them was doubting that Jesus actually was resurrected. I think probably most of them were doubting that Jesus was resurrected at that time. But then he comes and he appears in their midst. What does Jesus say to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Just as the angels say, and whenever they show up in Scripture, you know, do not be afraid. I think they're saying basically the same thing. Peace be with you. Don't be afraid. It's the rabbi. It's Jesus. Here I am. And he says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not Pentecost. What's going on here with this breathing and receiving the Holy Spirit? 
he is foreshadowing what's to come on that great day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit does come and rests on each and every one of the disciples, where they begin manifesting supernatural powers to speak other languages and communicate the gospel in a way that's compelling, so much so that thousands are converted. But Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will come, and you will have the power, you as a group, the church, will have a power to forgive sins. He breathes upon them. Now what does that breathing upon them remind you of? Laying on of hands, possibly. But it's actually the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2 when God breathes into Adam that breath, the breath of life. This man who was formed out of the dust of the earth then has the Spirit breathed into him. Jesus is breathing the Holy Spirit that they are being born anew. They're being recreated for a new purpose or possibly being created for the purpose they are meant for all along. But I want to focus a little bit more time today on the response of these disciples. How do they respond? With the exception of Thomas, because he wasn't there, right? They're in a state of fear. They're in a state of shock because their leader had, had been killed. And they're doubting. But Jesus comes and appears amongst them. And they respond by being overjoyed. Their fear turns to joy. Their doubt turns to a life on mission. Their shock turns to new life. God is in the business of bringing life out of death, of giving his people a purpose. When we are feeling downtrodden and despairing and hopeless, we're doubting even that God might even exist. He comes. If our eyes are open and we're willing to see him, he is there. He's there to say, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Peace be with you. Now get moving. We're sent, right? We're sent to be ambassadors for Christ. As the colleague for today says, we're given this ministry of reconciliation, where we're not only joined back together with God, we're to go out and help other people be joined back together with God, to be reconciled to him. That's what it means to be an apostle. That's what it means to be a disciple or student of Christ, to follow after him. So Jesus comes and reveals himself to his disciples. He encourages them with his words, telling them, peace be with you. But he then, in the midst of their joy, sends them out on mission to go and change the world. And indeed, they do just that. We are not gathered here to get today in a room in Jerusalem or in Galilee behind locked doors, are we? No, we're in Jacksonville, Florida, the year 2018, in a beautiful building on the riverbank holding a public service of worship where the doors are wide open. Well, we have them shut because of the wind, but the doors are open and they are not locked because we want anyone to be able to come in and hear this message, even the Jews who might be out to kill us, or anyone who might be antagonistic or persecuting those who follow Christ. His disciples changed the world. They wrote down the words of the Gospels, and they shared the message of good news, which has spread throughout 
the globe. Lastly, I want to talk about Thomas because we can't talk about John chapter 20 and the resurrection appearance without talking about Thomas himself. Why was he not there with them uh, when Jesus appeared? Who knows? Why did Jesus choose to appear to the disciples when Thomas wasn't there? Who knows? All we know is that he was not there. But the disciples used the same words that Mary Magdalene used, right, to share with Thomas what they had seen. They say, and I quote, we have seen the Lord, exclamation point. We have seen the Lord. But that wasn't enough for Thomas. No, he was still afraid, in shock, and doubting. He probably had heard the message of Mary Magdalene. But even when his fellow disciples said that they too had seen Jesus, he did not believe. And in his wisdom, his self-professed wisdom, he, he says, unless I see the nails, scars in his hands and put my finger in his side, I will not believe. He lays out for them, these are the conditions under which I will believe. So there you go. Jesus, in his great mercy, in his grace, comes back, again, saying, peace be with you. And he shows himself to Thomas. And in this great, in this moment of incredible compassion, he lays out for Thomas exactly the requirements that he thought he needed. Jesus says, see here, look at my hands. Come and touch my side. Well, Thomas didn't actually need to touch and feel Jesus, did he? Right then, he responds by saying, my Lord and my God. I imagine that Thomas fell to his knees at this moment with this exclamation, my Lord and my God. All Thomas needed was to be in Christ's presence, to see Jesus. And he responds in faith, in submission, and in worship. John proclaims, I'm sorry, Thomas proclaims what, what all of us really rightly should proclaim when we see Jesus for who he truly is. My Lord and my God. It's a personal act of faith. You know, like many of you, if you're a, a lifelong Episcopalian, I, I was baptized as a little baby on the night before Easter 1978. I don't remember being baptized as a child. I don't remember the water going over my head. And I don't remember saying that I would follow Jesus for the rest of my life. My parents made that promise for me. But there comes a point in every Episcopalian's life when we have to take that baptismal covenant for ourselves and say, Jesus, you're going to be my Lord and my God, not just my family's Lord and God, not just my grandmother's Lord and God, but my Lord and my God. Have you made that step yet? Have you made that profession of faith? If you haven't done so, I encourage you to do it. In prayer, if you would like help with that, I'd be happy to come and pray with you, or you can meet with Father Joe, Father Trent. We'd be more than happy to help you pray that prayer and help you understand who Jesus is as a personal Lord and Savior. Thomas, in great joy, says, My Lord and my God. 
Jesus then says to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now every week we gather together in this place and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for sinners so that we might be reconciled to God. We might no longer be separated from him, but reconciled. That his price, the price he paid on the cross bought us out of sin and death. But we have not seen Jesus' scarred hands and his side. We have not been in the presence of the Savior the way Thomas was. And Jesus says, you and I are blessed because we have faith without having seen him. Yes, we can get figurative and spiritual and say we see Jesus in other, other types of ways, but, but Thomas was in the midst of Jesus, right there, within arm's reach. He could have reached out and touched him, but he didn't. He didn't need to. This morning, John's gospel tells us the reason why he put pen to paper or a quill to scroll or however it was that he wrote it down He says that I wrote these words so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This morning I invite you to come and have life in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. Amen.